It's uh, Daniel chapter 4. So it's entitled in the NIV, Nebuchadnezzar's Dream of a Tree. This is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking. To the nations and peoples of every language who live live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, Contented and prosperous, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream. But they could not interpret it for me. Finally... Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked. And there before, stood me a tree, before me stood a tree in the middle of, it, of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter. The birds lived in its branches. From it, from it every creature was fed. In the vision I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a, holy, was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass field. Let him be drenched with dew of heaven, And let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let him be given given the mind of an animal. Till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. So that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth. And gives them to anyone he wishes. And sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can, because the spirit of the holy God is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream apply to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. 
Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. The dream is fulfilled. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking around on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as these words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of the heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the, time of that, sorry, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So on, in our preaching pattern, what we're going to do in those, uh, these odd couple of weeks where um, we've had the little uh, pulpit rotation, um, we're going to just come to a little bit of biblical wisdom year on year. We don't often um, get to Proverbs or to biblical wisdom, um, but we're going to do that in these this week and next week, and then we'll come back to it at the same, same point um, next year with a little bit more uh, wisdom. It is good to be back, I have to say. Uh, much rather be here than, than anywhere else. Um, it's lovely to be amongst you and bringing the word of the Lord to you. And I wonder, what do you do when you feel that life doesn't seem to be going your way? Or when you feel that the Lord is not um, upholding his end of the bargain? And I assume that you will have prayed um, and that you will have asked the Lord to show you um, any sin that you haven't seen. 
After all, James 5 says the prayer of a person is, is powerful and effective. So if your prayers are not being powerful and effective, then I, I expect you've gone back to check whether you, uh, you're not being righteous. It's just logical, isn't it? But when you've prayed, and, uh, but before you say, well, there are reasons that I don't understand that the Lord is putting me um, through this time um, Maybe it's a hard time, which he does sometimes. He puts us through hard times, even through dry times, um, to, to grow us um, and to strengthen our faith by testing. But before you, before you assume that, I want to give you one more principle to check, and that is that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble or gives grace, was the older translation, to the humble. <coughs> It originates in, in the book of Proverbs, um, God's book of, of wisdom. How God has made the world um, to work, and it's there. If you want to look it up later on in Proverbs 3.34, he mocks proud mockers but shows favor um, to the humble and to the oppressed. And it's quoted twice in the New Testament. I find that quite interesting in its own right. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, in the context of the church family, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Or James 4, in the context of whether the church is living like the rest of society, um, if anyone's a friend of the world, he becomes an enemy of God. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but but shows favor to the humble. So I find this to be one of the fundamental principles of living the Christian life. And I find, out, I find that it works out in my life um, again and again and again. So do you know that feeling where you feel you've, you've gone out and you've had a graceless day? It feels like you've just had, uh, you, you feel like the Lord's not been real to you and, and things have just uh, gone wrong or they've gone from bad to worse or you feel like you've just... Uh, the, the Lord is alien to you. Well, the f- first thing I check, or at least the first thing I check when I've got my mind on me, is whether I'm being proud somewhere. So I want us to kind of look at a couple of stories um, and, uh, and just then try and just dig into this a little bit and apply this to ourselves. So interesting, wasn't it? Uh, that's a great story, isn't it, about Nebuchadnezzar? Um, he, he has a dream. This is Pride in the Pagan. I think it's really interesting when you read that passage again, um, because when Nebuchadnezzar's related the story, he says um, that Daniel helped him, but he's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. At the end of this time, Nebuchadnezzar has sort of realized, but he sort of hasn't. I don't think he's become a believer, but anyway, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. You saw that dream, this great big tree providing um, food and shelter for all. A heavenly messenger comes and, and calls for it to be cut down. It's going to be like an animal. He's going to live wild for seven times. Daniel interprets, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, you will be humiliated until you realize that what you have achieved was just the gift of God to you. And he says at one point that God gives this even, gives rulership even to the lowliest of people. Nebuchadnezzar, this is not about you. This is not your doing. 
This is the, this is the gift of God for you. So repent and stop, stop angering the God who gave this to you. Live a holy life and, and live with humble thanks for, what you've, for what's been given. Dream comes true. And Nebuchadnezzar says, 12 months later, as uh, the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built with my, as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Verse 29. That's the mistake. He attributes the success to himself. Is this not the great Babylon I have built uh, as, as the royal residence by my mighty power? Mistake number one, and for the glory of my majesty, uh, mistake number two. I mean, mean, you couldn't anger God much more than that, could you? As you go back out, think about that. You go back and think, this this job which I have earned, this house which I have paid for, by my mighty power, and so that I look good. I hope not. Eventually, his sanity is restored. He says, I raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. He acknowledges that all the good things um, have come to him from God. Is it a sovereign work of God that he's restored? Or did he just wake up? I think, to be honest, it's a sovereign work of God. But you read that for yourself. He says, his dominion is, is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures. I recognize where my power and success has come from. Ultimately, all good things, and I mean all good things that you have, all the good things that you have come from the Lord. God opposes the proud. You see that in Nebuchadnezzar's life? God opposes the proud but gives grace, shows favour to the humble. So it's an interesting story. God has been amazingly gracious to him because he's a, he's a, he's a pagan. He's not, a, he's not a, a believer. He's not one of God's people. And thankfully, he has Daniel, who is a believer, um, to, minister to minister God to him. But for the people of Israel, it was made explicit in Leviticus. And you can go back and read this, um, Le- Leviticus 26, uh, at some point, verse 14 onwards, God says to them um, about living in this promised land that he's about to give them, if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, I will do this to you. I'll bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you'll be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. If you choose to ignore the Lord, um, or claim any part of your success by claiming that any part of your success is yours and yours alone, the Lord has the capacity to stand in your way until you realize what's going on. So those things, 
the Lord can cause things that might have gone well for you to go, to go badly. That job interview. Your health even. Things that were progressing in an orderly way. You assume therefore they're ordered, that you've got them ordered. The Lord can and will step in and flip them over if you're wrestling with pride. He goes on, if after all this you will not listen to me, I'll punish you for your sins seven times over. I'll break down your stubborn pride. Listen to that. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain because the soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit. So pride is to not listen to God. Pride is to not acknowledge God. Pride is not to obey God. And God can get in amongst the stuff that you think you've got control on. I guess in a a society where it's all about, it's an agrarian society where it's all about planting, then they know that the weather can be fickle. Uh, and they know the weather can be changed. But the Lord says, look, I'm in control of the weather. I'm in control of the ground. And if you don't listen to me, then and I can get in uh, to, to the very ground. I can change the weather. So for you, and I can say this to you, you think I've got this much in the bank. It sits there. It's comfortable. It's not. The Lord, if he wants to, can change the interest rates. Um, the, the Lord, if he wants to, can, uh, can cause your, even your bank to fail. So the same principle of prayer applies. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. So it's there explicitly um, in the Old Testament. It's there again in, in, in Proverbs. And Proverbs is this great book. It's about how the world works. How the world works because it's God's world and how God usually works in his world. Proverbs are not promises. You know that. They're just often little pictures <coughs> excuse me, from which you have to generalise principles. Same is true with an English proverb. Okay, a bird in the hand is, is worth two in the bush. What's that about? Uh, is it about bird catching? No, okay. So it's a little picture. Of them. What's it about? It's about um, it's a little picture that encapsulates a principle. Better the things in your possession than those that have been promised or those that you've yet to earn. So some basic principles out of, out of, uh, about pride from Proverbs. Proverbs 8:13: "To fear the Lord is to hate evil." And this is um, wisdom speaking in the book of Proverbs. So it, uh, and it is the Lord saying, "I hate pride and arrogance. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech." Straightforward, isn't it? Pride goes before destruction, Proverbs 13. A haughty spirit before a fall. This is one that's made it into the kind of English language in general, isn't it? Except it's, quite some, it's usually squished up, but pride comes before a fall. Pride comes, pride prefaces a fall because it creates a blindness as to where the good things have come from. So if you're proud, you've misunderstood the mechanism by which you have good things in your life. And so therefore, you're not going to do the things necessary to make your success continue. 
but also the Lord detests pride. He's going to stand in the way. <clears throat> Some wisdom about how, how pride works. Oh, it's dying. It's not good. Oh, Why is that? not plugged in properly. <laughs> Some wisdom about how, how pride works. Keep going. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So pride is going along thinking you've got everything under control. Um, it's just you're opening up the opportunity if you're not recognising that's come for God, from God and God might oppose you, then you're opening up the opportunity that you're going to fall on your face, pride comes before a fall, and that you're going uh, to be disgraced. But with humility comes wisdom. Humility is a prerequisite to real godly wisdom. Um, Proverbs uh, 13 again, Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Um, strife, if there's strife, if there's conflict, then almost certainly there's pride there. It's a little sign um, that there's pride. Cooperation is a sign that humility is at work. Obvious, isn't it, when you think about it? A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. So when pride is, when pride is, is expressed, it comes out. It comes out in rash words. The lips of the wise protect them. You have to watch what you're going to say. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. It's kind of saying the same thing as again, the Lord, but the Lord actively works against the proud. And the Lord actively works for the lowly. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Pride is a sin. It will be punished. That's a reassurance that God will see that it's all punished, but it's also a warning, isn't it? Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. I love that picture. Uh, The proud heart is the unplowed field of of the wicked. Um, Pride gets into your heart because you're just not paying it attention. You're not plowing it. You're not bringing it before Scripture. Um, you're not uh, taking attention of those who speak to you uh, in church or wherever they are. You're just leaving it unplowed. If it's unplowed, then it's, uh, pride will, will get in and pride produces sin. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honour. Pride brings a person low, but lowly in spirit gain honour. In, in God's world, he loves the lowly. And he just loves to flip things over. He loves to flip things so that the proud, pride come, the proud come down and the lowly are exalted. And you only have to think of his son. Philippians 2 that Bill read earlier on to see that. Other things in practice. There is, kind of, there is potentially a right kind of pride. Galatians 6 says each one should test their own actions and then they can take pride in themselves alone. 
without comparing themselves to somebody else. You can take, you can take a, an, an objective, sober judgment of yourself, which is not just comparing yourself uh, with somebody else, and, and you can be satisfied with that. But this is pride, to think that we have something or we have done something that's praiseworthy, that's come from ourselves without the Lord's involvement. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. It's a place where we forget that all that we have comes from him. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Any time you take credit for anything, anything, without giving thanks to the Lord, you invite his opposition. Let me say that again. Anytime you take credit for anything, without giving thanks to the Lord, you risk inviting his opposition. So the easiest, straightforward antidote in pride is to practice a thoroughgoing um, thankfulness. You have to get in there um, and plow your heart with some thankfulness. Thankfulness that every good thing that you have got comes from God. And, and then you have to practice it on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis, because otherwise the alternative is that pride will grow in your heart. So you may not love it, but when you're going to work, you have to say, thank you, God, that I got a job. Something goes well. And uh, you have to say, thank you, Lord. Went into a tricky conversation with somebody, um, not somebody within the church, recently. And I thought, I think I'm quite good at this kind of conversation. I reckon I can come out the other end. Um, uh, telling them hard things, with, but without offending them. And then I thought, well, isn't that really stupid? Um, I'll just pray and I'll, I'll kind of say, Lord, just can you help me out here? This is going to be tricky. Um, and I came out the other end and, um, and the person repeated back to me almost word for word the thing, uh, the thing I'd said to them. Um, it's most remarkable. I felt like a Jedi Knight. It was just, um, you know, I kind, of, I kind of said something and at the end of the conversation they said exactly the same thing back to me. And I thought, that's amazing. And then I thought, whoops, stop. Thank you, Lord. That must have been you. That was you. I'm not a Jedi Knight. I'm just uh, walking in humble dependence on the Lord. So rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That is the simplest antidote um, to pride. Similarly, every time... (coughs) You consider yourself better than somebody else. You risk the Lord opposing you. Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. And I find this an active principle in my life all the time. Where things haven't gone the way I think. Stop. Lord, where was I proud? Where was I proud in this? And of course, the ultimate example of humility is Jesus, isn't it? In your relationships with one another, 
That's Paul's point. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Uh, Didn't consider it something to be grasped in the older language. Held on to. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But this is the principle, so listen to this. Therefore, therefore, what's, therefore on the basis of what? On the very, because he humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's an amazing thing that Jesus has done. Uh, he came, uh, he was obedient, became, uh, became a man, humbled himself, the obedient unto, unto death. Uh, I hope that this morning, that you, at some point in your life, you have trusted Christ. Um, you've looked to the cross and said, yes, Jesus, I, I, I see that what you did there, you did for me. Uh, and I take hold of that now and I ask for your forgiveness. And I come under your lordship um, for, the, for the rest of my life. God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble, the humble Jesus even who goes to the cross. Ultimately, as we finish, pride is, pride is punished and I, I find this kind of a Kind of reassuring, but also slightly scary passage from Isaiah 2. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. He has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of, uh, of Bashan, I guess he's not really talking about the trees, but he's talking about the people who, who kind of take pride in those things. For all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower uh, and all the high walls, sorry, and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, we could say for every um, downtown um, high-rise multinational company, For every trading system, every stock exchange, the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. There is a day we need to remember in this present God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and one day everything that is proud and lofty will be cut down because the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And we simply say to that, Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.